So I'm going to get into this. I, the Lord, I, he gave me a, one verse. But to get there, I have to go over a few things. So um, I don't want you to get nervous when I start talking about the Feast of the Lord because I'm not going to go into it in depth like I would on a Tuesday night, so it won't take long. But I feel like it's necessary to start there to, to rightly show the power of the word, the power of his heart, his, his desire for uh, where he wants us to be and what he's calling us to do. And we want to follow the king wherever he goes, right? We want to follow the lamb. We want, to, we want to give him all our worship. And so we want to make sure that we're yielding to him in all things. So when the darkness comes in the day that we live in, I'm not going to dwell there either. Trust me, I'm going to get to the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is a king to be worshipped. So when the darkness comes and the battle rages, remember, remember who lives in the midst of us, right? He's a mighty warrior in the midst of us. We all go through times of sorrow, we go through times of pain, we go through struggles, but he wants us to remember that he is a mighty warrior in the midst of us, and he fights battles that we can't fight. And he's our shepherd. He comforts us when we need to be comforted. He's all those things and more. Who could, who could trade him for, for another god? Who would follow another god? Who would go after another king? I never will understand it. But the days that are getting darker, evil is gaining a ground, but the Lord has always had a people. He has always had a plan. So in knowing this truth, we are empowered because we serve a God who can never fail. We sing the song, he will never, ever fail, but sometimes we don't quite believe it because we are flesh. But we have to remind one another, like TJ and I were just saying, it's important to gather, right? Because then we remind each other about the words of the Lord, and we get encouraged, we get empowered. We all have the word of the Lord in us, and we need to share it with each other so that we are not defeated in the days that we live or in the trials that we go through. So we are empowered because we serve a God who can never fail, who will never be defeated, who will always prevail in victory. The days are getting more and more challenging with more moral decline, flood, famine, economic collapse, you name it, you can see it, and it's all around us. So we know that we are in a season, uh, of, if anything, of Jacob's trouble, right? Not saying the Lord is coming back this weekend, although he could, but we have to pay attention to the seasons that we live in and be encouraged. The Lord always wants us encouraged. So our position, though, in this time is in him. We, de- we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, we're, right? We're, we're reading Psalm 91, hopefully every day, and it's getting into our heart, and we understand as we abide in him, the shadow of the Almighty, as we do that, we continue to stay there, our hope grows in him, right? We start to really believe that his word is true. We believe that when I cry out to you, you will answer me. When I need help, you will send your angels. We start to believe the promises in Psalm 91, because we say, I'm abiding in you. I don't always understand, but you will rescue me, because I have known your name, because I have loved you, it says. We love him in this room. We, have, we know his name, so we can grab hold of those things and say, thank you, Lord, because of that, you will send your angels to deliver me, my family, and all those things. We have rest in that. And that's why I believe he's having uh, so many people in the nation and all over the world, really, reading Psalm 91 at this time, reading it every day. They all got the same kind of, you know, they all got the same memo. So as we read it, we know it, we grow, that he is the host of angel armies, the Lord of hosts. And most importantly, above all that power, he is our father. Think about that. He is intimate with us. He loves us. He is our Lord. He is worthy to be continuously praised not just on Sunday, but continually praised. I didn't open this. Hold on. Try this this way. I should get a straw, but he's worthy to be continually praised. 
So I want to quickly look on the, the uh, feast that is coming up, September 15th through the 17th, and, the, and a few feasts after that, but just this particular one. Um, as they are written out in the book of uh, Numbers for us, or Leviticus, I don't remember now because I didn't write the whole thing out, but you can always research that. But they call it the Feast of Trumpets, they call it Rosh Hashanah, but it was originally called Yom Teruah, if I'm saying it correctly. But it really translates, Feast of Trumpets, right? We know that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill every single, every single appointed feast that the Lord has called us to, to, to celebrate. We know he already has in Passover. We, see, we saw that that happened. We saw, we saw it with Pentecost. And this one, though, has not yet been fulfilled, but it will be one day. Because what I'm talking about today is the king coming to where we are, the king of glory stepping in, opening up our ancient gates, opening up the door because the king of glory is stepping in. Whether it's that he physically comes or he comes into our life and he touches us, we have to know that he wants these doors open, the gates open, so they can fill us more. But it was a time of blowing the shofar, signifying um, the Messiah is coming. Throughout Jewish history, the blowing of the shofar is signified is signifying an expectation. See, it's a season of expectation. It's not just gloom and doom. It's a, it's a season of expectation. An expectation for God to show up, for the Messiah to arrive. For the believing Jew or Gentile, it's the returning of Jesus Christ. We know in, in Israel, those who do not believe and are still waiting, they are still celebrating it, though, waiting for a Messiah. It's in their heart. They know that what they are celebrating is they need the Messiah. They just have not found him yet. The biblical festivals shadow everything about Jesus. It's not, it's not something wasted. It's something that we should grab hold of because every single feast declares our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And how can we not want to know more about our Savior, Jesus Christ? The Feast of Trumpets, called Yom Teruah, will one day be fulfilled when Jesus returns again for his bride. The Feast of the Lord, or the appointed days, as the Lord calls them, an appointment. You have an appointment with God in, in these seasons. The appointed feasts or the days, he says, without Yeshua, oh, sorry, the feast of the Lord or the appointed days that God has set are important to both Jew and Gentile. I heard a rabbi say in the Jewish community, they have the feast without Yeshua, but in the Christian community, they have Jesus without the feast. I thought that was very powerful because the feasts are declaring who Jesus Christ is and what he will do. The feasts do not take away, but they enhance. They enhance our walk with the Lord. They have a purpose. They point to the Messiah. Yom Teru, or Feast of Trumpets, is a time of expectation for the Jewish community that he is coming. And for the children of God, both Jewish believer and Gentile believers, that he is coming again. It's a season of hope and expectation. I knew I would mess up a few words. But that's the, whole, that's the season we're in. As the things get darker, we should have an expecting see. <laughs> the king is coming. The shofars are blasted with anticipation. We should never lose any of our excitement that Jesus will return. Our eyes are looking for the signs, but not to escape. We are recognizing that he's coming for the promise that he unfolded to us, that I'm coming to get you. Don't you worry, I'm coming for my bride. Joel speaks to, to his nation in his time of of uh, decline in the nation. And he says to sound the alarm, turn back to God, repent. It was a dark time, but it was also a time of promise for an outpouring of his spirit on all flesh, turning, turning, bringing him close, right? So when we talk about repentance and all those things, sometimes people shy from it, but really it's a great promise when you read the Old Testament. 
So when Joel says it talks about the darkness and great darkness that will come upon the people, it's a time of Jacob's trouble, a time that whatever can be shaken, he says, will be shaken. But it's also a time that the Lord draws near to his people. It's a time of visions and dreams, a time that he pours out his spirit on all flesh, not only upon his own, but all people, all nationalities, all young and old, male and female, slave and free. He wants to pour out his spirit. But are we close to that? We just want to continue to keep our eyes on him. And that's why these, this season is important because we take away from our busy time and we say, Lord, I'm going to think of you more. I'm going to come before you more. I'm going to think of you when I'm working. I'm going to think, meditate on you before I step out of my bed, right? And you're looking for him and you're thinking about him and you're meditating on him. And that's all he's asking. Just look to me, think of me, consider me, bring me into every avenue of your life. When we don't do that, we get in a cycle of, we just go, wow, all day long, I didn't even think of you, I didn't share you, I, I didn't even, a scripture didn't come to me, God forbid that would happen to, to any of us. So it's a season, this is the season that's on us, challenging times and divine times, times that men's heart will fear, but Jesus tells us over and over again, even when he talks about the signs of the times, the number one thing, do not fear. Do not be deceived and do not fear. That's how much he loves us. The shepherd just wants to draw near to us and say to us, I've got this. I'm with you. I'm going to be with your family. I, I promise. I'm going to deliver her. I'm going to deliver him. Just trust me. I am the shepherd whose eyes never fall. They never sleep, right? He doesn't nod out. He doesn't nod out like I do sometimes, <laughs> sitting on the couch, my head is bouncing. He doesn't do that. His eyes are continually on us. Uh, so Jesus said, do not fear over and over, do not fear. <clears throat> he says that because things will not get better. But because he is a mighty warrior in the midst of his own people, we can say we will not be afraid, right? But never forget he's a great shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep and who continues to bear, to be with, to be our gatekeeper, our protector. The reason we can lay down and sleep is the reason because he is, he is not sleeping. We can sleep because he's not sleeping. We don't have to stay awake. We don't have to look at the cameras every two seconds, right? We can sleep, we can rest because he is with us. He is a shepherd. We cannot forget he is standing at our gates. Never forget he is standing at your gates. In John 10, 7, Jesus says he's the door. Some versions say that he is the gate. Jesus spoke to them in this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So he said to them again, I didn't put the Bible reference, so I'm just going to read it. He said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. That's the heart of God, that we would, we would come in and go out and find pasture. I am the door, he said. Nothing is coming in or out without getting past me. And there's the, there's the king, the, you know, the warrior king. I'm the door. Nothing's coming in or out without getting past me. I'm the watchman on the wall of your life. I am the keeper of your soul. There were two kinds of sheepfolds or pens where sheep were kept. One kind was a public sheepfold found in the cities and villages. It would be large enough to hold several flocks at once. This sheep pen would be in the care of a porter or a doorkeeper who's whose duty it was to guard the door to the sheep pen during the night. The shepherds would come in the morning and would call for his, their sheep. 
each one of them going to their own shepherd's voice and would lead them out in the pasture. If you've ever seen one of those YouTube videos, you have to watch it, where there's all these sheep and, and various shepherds and they're, they're calling. You've seen them calling for the sheep and you can see as, as one would be calling, some of them don't even bother looking up. But the others start running to him and run. They just know that that is the voice of my shepherd, right? We know the voice of our shepherd, so we don't have to fear. We might sometimes not know the details of what he's saying to us, but we know his voice. We know his voice. We found it in his word, and we found it in a lifetime of knowing him, the, the life that began when we gave our heart to him. His sheep know his voice and will not follow another. No matter how similar that voice sounds, they will not follow another. This is my, my favorite. The second kind of sheep pen was in a countryside where the shepherds would keep their flocks in, in good weather. This type of sheep pen was nothing more than a rough circle of rocks piled in, into a wall with a small open space to enter. So they were just out there in the open. Through it, the shepherd would drive the sheep, would drive the sheep into it at night. Since there was no gate to close, just an opening, the shepherd who be sorry. I know I did this wrong. Sorry. I should always do this first, and I didn't. Through an opening, the shepherd who keep the sheep in the wild, where the wild animals are, are sorry, he would lay across the opening. He would sleep there, in this case, literally becoming the door of the sheep. He would lay his life down. He would lay down so that the sheep couldn't come out and nothing evil could come in. That's a, an amazing picture of our God watching us all the time. And it's important that the reason I'm going over these things that we already know, because I really want to hit it home for us, that he was, he's never going to leave us. He's not far from us. He's not wandering off someplace. We are wandering sometimes, but he never will. He will run after you. He will grab you. He will grab your family. We should never worry. We should just declare his greatness over and over again, that he's a, he's a shepherd king, right? He's a shepherd king. So in this context, Jesus is telling us that he is not only the shepherd of the sheep, but also he's the door of the sheep. In so doing, he is vividly contrasting himself with that of the religious leaders of his time. He describes them as thieves and robbers. When Jesus says, I am the door, he is reiterating the fact that, the on that only through him is salvation possible. Only through him is protection possible. Protection in him during times of darkness, great darkness that covers the earth, only in him, the gate, the door. He is our gate and he is our door. He is our watchman. He is the keeper of our soul. When you read Psalm 121, it makes it very clear. But when my favorite was verse 4, where it says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber briefly nor sleep soundly. He's not going into a sugar coma. He's watching us always. He won't leave us for a second. Remember to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, he wrote, These are the words of the one who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. That's another thing we can never forget. We, a door closes and you think you missed an opportunity, you belong to the king, it's not true. Don't try to open a door he's shut and don't try to open one that, that he's closed. I said the same thing twice, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So these are the words of the king. He is a king and he's in total control. He contains all power. He opens doors and he closes doors. We need to trust this truth and not try to open a closed door or shut an opened one. He opens doors sometimes that we don't want to go through, but we need to go through them. Believe he's in control and repent of your own control and give your life to him more fully at those times. 
He's the door. He is our door, the door of hope and, of re and resurrection life. He opens himself to us, and we must open the door of our hearts to him, surrendering all that we have. And this is where I really want to get to in the next two pages. He's talking to me about opening my heart, opening the heart. Oh, t tell my people, when you gather, open your heart more because the king of glory is coming in. Isn't that exciting? The king of glory is coming in. It's not a sad thing. It's not a hard thing. But the king of glory wants to visit us. The king of glory. You know, he's coming on a white horse. We know that he's coming and he's riding and he's got a sword in his mouth. But even while we're here waiting for that, he wants to come to us. He wants to revive us. He wants to fill us. He wants more real estate inside of us, right? He wants more. The king of glory is coming. So he is the king of glory. Lift up your gates, of, lift up the gates of your heart. Open the door wide and let the king of glory in. Psalm 24 is a picture of the coming of the king of glory. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, a world and the world and all that dwells in it. He doesn't just have a piece of real estate. He owns everything. He created everything. There's nothing that we could build or do that didn't come from his building material. Nothing, nothing at all. It all is in him. He's the breath in our lungs. He's everything. He's all in all. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy, holy place? Who can come to the mountain of the Lord and, and stand in his presence? It's those who walk in his ways, those who come through the door of his son. Holiness is required. It's not just the outer things that we've shed, the sins that we've done in the past. It's the inner man, the inner heart he's looking at. He wants to deliver us of thoughts of condemnation and, and uh, areas of fear, areas of stress, things that we've, the ancient doors that have closed all that stuff for so long. When he says, open up those ancient doors, he's saying, give those areas to me. Just trust me. It doesn't have to be a long counseling session for hours and hours and hours, right? And, and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You go before the Lord and you go, Lord, what is it I can give to you? What is it I'm holding back? What is it that I won't open? Why do I react like that? He's looking for those types of things. Holiness wraps all that inside of that. Sometimes we just think, oh, I don't do drugs anymore. I don't do this anymore. But the Lord always wants so much more because he wants to give us so much more. If we could see it like that, we'd be so excited about getting rid of our, our personality and then taking on his. So who can come to the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his presence? It's those who walk in his ways, who come through the door of his son, and holiness is required. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear deceitfully. So he gives us some thoughts there. And I know we've all, we've all had things like this in our life. If you're human, you fell into some of these areas. But praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. We're cleansed. He just wants us to recognize it. Psalm 51 says... He desires truth in our innermost part. I love that psalm. Psalm 51.6. He desires truth in, our, in the innermost part. That's who will be vindicated. The person who is vindicated, it says in verse 5, that I'm going to read in a second, will be vindicated if he has done these things that the Lord has asked. That means the meditations, the motives of our heart, they need cleansing. Things hidden, the hidden thoughts and, and attitudes of our heart, they must be transformed or we will stumble. Because the Bible said if we, if we continue to follow after him and go through these things that he talks about in Psalm 15, I'll read quickly in a second, he said, you'll never stumble. That amazes me. We will never stumble. What? If I don't backbite? You'll never stumble. What? If you don't, you know, if you, if you don't share, if you don't gossip? You know, he goes through this little list. But in verse 5 of what I'm reading, it says, he will receive a blessing from the Lord, the person who puts aside all those things, and vindication from the God of his salvation, 
Such the generation are those who seek him, who seek his face. Blessings come when we stand in purity, walk in his ways. There's no shortcuts to blessing. It's a continual, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll change. Yes, I won't do that anymore. Lord, help me. I blew it again, right? So we know that. Psalm 15 says similarly, it's a short one. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy mountain? He who walks with integrity and practices righteousness, who speaks the truth from his heart, who has no slander on his tongue. No slander on your tongue, that tongue. Who does no harm to his neighbor, who casts no scorn on his friend, who despises the vile but honors those who fear the Lord, who does not revive a costly oath, who lends his money without interest and refuses a bribe against the innocent. That's a man or a woman of integrity. And then he says this most amazing statement. He who does these things will never be shaken. We are living in a time where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And he said, but if you still just keep living for me, if you keep representing the king, if, you, if people can see you, not your deeds or your actions, but they can see me through you, then, you're, then you are living for the king, you're not going to stumble. I, think, I find that fascinating. It doesn't say if you fast more, if you pray more, right? It doesn't say if you, if, you go on a, if you go on a retreat and if you go to church more. He says, I want you to do these things because these are the things that reflect me. They reflect my glory, right? So it's a very powerful statement. We will not be shaken. The promise doing these things, you will never be shaken. We can and should prepare for many things. But to stand in times of shaking, it's the heart prepared, the will of man submitting to the holiness of our king. Lift up your heads. Back to chapter 24, verse 7. Psalm 24, verse 7. This is where I'm going. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may enter. The gates of the city are welcoming. They were in the city. They were welcoming in praise and great joy. Our hearts need to be filled up. Our ancient doors that have been sealed tight, holding back our commitment, holding back our praise. Ancient doors that have been shut up for years. Areas in our life that we haven't died to or, or surrendered. Attitudes that we won't let go of. It says, lift them to the king of glory. This is the king of, this is the same king that Isaiah saw. If we can put Isaiah 61 up there for a minute. Isaiah 61 saw this king in all his glory. This is our king. Isaiah saw him with his physical eyes. Um, any version, New American Standard is fine. I didn't write it down. What? Six, uh, Isaiah 61. 61 one. Nope, that's wrong. 6 1, sorry. <laughs> I got the 6 and 1 blurred together. That's okay. I'll have a drink. Do you want me to just read it? Okay. Let me find where I left off. Okay, so lift them to the king of glory. This is the same king that Isaiah saw, and when he, when he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple. And remember we had said a long time ago, I didn't go back and research, but the Lord showed me a while ago, is that when a king would go to battle, the king that was defeated, his robe would be cut, and they added it to the king who had the victory. So the longer the robe, the greater the king, 
right? So this is what Isaiah saw. He says, in the, king, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. That's powerful. That means he's a king of all kings. There's nobody greater than him. I'll read the next one. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That king that he saw is the same king that wants to come and visit us. It's mind-boggling. So calling God the king of glory means that he is the most awesome of all kings. He's the most powerful and should be praised and feared. He should be worshipped. We should give him our all, our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength as we prayed this morning. We should give him our life in a greater way. Who is this king of glory? It says in verse 8. The question for all of us to, to answer, who is this king of glory? That's what the Lord wants us to know. Who is this king? Who do you think I am? Like he said to Peter. The Lord, and the answer came, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Understand with full confidence that there isn't anyone greater. There isn't anyone stronger. Understand that he is mighty in battle. He will guard your gates from all harm. He will protect you from all things that would cause you to weaken in the fact that he, and, and in the fact of he's going to win the battle. I said that backwards. But sometimes because we don't believe he's going to win the battle, we become weak. We have to know he is the king of all kings and he's our king. He is my king. He is your king. We must put away all doubt, all fear, all unrest and anxiety and know that he is mighty in battle. So lift up your praises and let him enter those doors. Your heart, let the king of glory in. And it's so important that he says it again in verse 9. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may enter. Gates in, the biblical, in biblical Israel went, weren't just a doorway into the city. They were where the prophets cried out, the kings judged, and people gathered for business. It's where we do life, where we gather, where we make decisions, how we hear the words of the prophets. It's in this place that he's saying, open up those gates, open up those doors, be lifted up, O ancient doors, open wider to the king of glory, let him in every avenue and every street, let his voice rise above your judges, let it rise above your business, let him rise above your everyday life. Sometimes we listen to our voice more than anything else, but we have to put all that aside and let the king of glory come in, let him speak to us in those places, in our everyday life, where we gather with other people, the open doors, and let him reign, let him in. The people cry, who is this king of glory again? And it tells, and he tells them about himself. Our mission is that we would tell others, because others are wondering, who is this king of glory? Who is this Jesus that you believe in? How is it that you have peace in this time? How is it that you're, that you're singing all the time? How is it that that didn't upset you, right? You have people that talk to you like that, right, in your workplace and whatever. And what we need to say is you need to, he's the king of glory. And then that really what they're saying to us is, who is this king of glory? And what we have to say, he's a king mighty. He's mighty for battle. And he is great and he's high and lifted up. He's my king and he wants to be your king. That's how we testify to the world. He wants that to come out of us, but he wants us to know it and grab hold of it more than we ever have before. So it will spill out of us in all his greatness and his power. And we will see many people free. So we, our mission is to tell others, the king of glory, tell other, others of his holiness, his mercy, his compassion, his love. Tell others what he's done for you. Testify of who this king is, the king of glory, and that his train fills the temple. 
So the people would cry out, tell us about him. In verse 10, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he's glori- he is glorious. He's the king of angel armies. Angels are waiting eager- eagerly for a mission, a command from the mouth of, his- of this great king. How could we worry, wondering how, when, why, when our shepherd king is coming to the doors of our heart, knocking and saying, give me more room within you. I want to encourage you. I want to tell you that it's going to be all right. He wants to tell us it's going to be all right. I have everything you need, he says to us. I have abundance. I come with an army to rescue you, protect you, and make a way for you that you can't see. Tell others that I am coming. We live in a day that we need to tell others that he is coming. And even if they don't understand it, you tell them anyway. I've been telling them at work, listen, he's coming. Might not be this year. I don't know the day or the hour, but I know he's coming in a season, and we should be prepared. Even if it's 10 years down the road, we should still be prepared because he wants to come to our hearts personally. David says, the Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. We're living in a time of Jacob's trouble. We need to know what David knew, and the revelation will grow greater and greater for us every day. He's a mighty warrior in the midst of us. I love that scripture. We, when we get weak, we've all been there, right? We get weak, we're, we're sad, we're broken. We just have to tap into, Lord, you are a mighty warrior in the midst of me, not just a, not just a comforter, but you are ready to battle anyone that comes against me. And that's what he does. That's why he comes back with fire in his eyes for his bride. It's like enough. I'm bringing my bride home. It's, it's, I just can't wait. But I'm not ready yet because there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot that don't know him yet. So the Lord's mighty in battle. We're living in a time of Jacob's trouble. He is mighty. He's a mighty warrior in the midst of us. He's a warrior, and his strength cannot be measured. Remember that. He doesn't, there is nothing that can combat him. His might cannot be measured. He has never lost a battle, and even at his weakest point on earth, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was not losing ground. He was gaining souls. He was going to the cross. It didn't matter what it looked like, even for us. It doesn't matter what what it looks like. If you're in God and you're crying out to him, you are gaining ground. The enemy doesn't like it. He'll try to shake you off that cross. But the truth is you are gaining ground, and victory is right ahead of you. So he was never losing. He was gaining. He was getting his bride, and the father was securing his children. Never has there been and never will there be that our king has any kind of weakness. Don't ever believe it. Kryptonite won't weaken him or any other gathering force. You can take every force in the world, every, every evil that you can find, and it cannot, it cannot fight against his light and his glory. He's El Shaddai, El Elyon. He's a mighty, mighty king. And so then David says this. He's mighty in battle. David, a warrior king himself, knew that this king was above all kings. And that's why he was shouting, make room for this king of glory. Let him in. Open the gates. Open the ancient doors. Open up, open up those doors that haven't been opened forever. Let him through this gate because he's coming through anyway. So the Lord is saying to us, I am, I am greater than all. I am able. I am your exceedingly abundant great reward. Open your gates and the ancient doors, for I am coming back. I am your king. I am the king of glory. In the season that we are in, the turning of this season, the season that we talked about with Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur, the 10 days of awe, it's really a season to take advantage of, to turn our eyes towards the things of God, to be in a place that we are anticipating the coming of this king. Because it won't be long that that does happen. You might, he might come for you before he comes back, and that's fine too. 
But the, the truth is that time does run out for all of us, and we want to be prepared, and we want to be ready. And so what I was, I asked um, Lena to put on this one song and ending, because as I was preparing this, or trying to the other, or last night, this song popped up on my, on my feed, and it was, it said, open the ancient gates. Open the ancient gates. So I listened to the song, and I said, well, we're going to put that on, and we're going to end with that song. And as we, as we look at it, as we sing it, just give your heart to him in a greater way. But believing that he wants to come and take up more real estate. He wants more of you because why? He wants to bless us. He wants to give us all that he died for. He died for us that we would live, not just have salvation, but that we would have total redemption, the fullness of his life, the abundance of his life. Amen.